This is Unladylike. I'm Kristen. And ladies, I'm curious if y'all have noticed that there's been a lot of media attention lately to female breadwinners, in large part thanks to new research from the Pew Research Center. And one of the findings is that the share of women who earn as much as or significantly more than their husbands has roughly tripled over the past 50 years. And while that might sound like the beginning of a celebratory story of rising income equality, when it comes to breadwinning and heterosexual couples or opposite-sex couples, the narrative is not so straightforward, which is why I recently took to the gram at Unladylike Media to ask unladies a question. Well, questions. And ladies, are you the breadwinner? And if so, has that breadwinning dynamic affected your relationship in other ways? Do you ever feel like there is a stigma against women who are breadwinners, especially if those women are married to men who they happen to out-earn? Let me know. Y'all had a lot to say. Hi, I'm Kayla, and I am a breadwinner. My husband doesn't work due to a disability, and I am our primary income source. He's very supportive and always encourages me to be career-minded and to not hold back. He takes care of the house for me, and I appreciate him. Two years ago, my partner and I moved in together along with my two children. He also has two children from a previous relationship, but they only spend every other weekend with us. I have always made more money than my partner, but then just recently, I got a significant increase in pay, which is really great for me. And he doesn't mind. He's not threatened by the fact that I make more money. He sends a significant portion of his income to child support. And so he is just absolutely not able to contribute to 50% of the household costs. Um, So sometimes it feels because I have to make up for what he can't pay. It just feels like I'm sending part of my money to his child support. And maybe I shouldn't think about it like that, but that's sometimes how it comes into my mind. And it's hard. And I just negotiated this great new salary with this great new job. And I can't really celebrate or enjoy it as much as I maybe could if he was actually contributing 50%. Hey, Kristen, I just had to chime in when you asked for stories from breadwinning and ladies. My ex-husband and I never made very much, but it was roughly the same amount. However, I was definitely the breadwinner in our relationship. In the 10 years we were together, I had two different jobs, one in each state we lived in. Well, he had closer to 20. I'm actually not sure how many. I'm probably underestimating the number. Because of this, my income was steady while his fluctuated wildly. Over time, it became a huge issue in our marriage. He would spend his money on whatever he felt like, often making large purchases without talking to me first, while my money was what we used to pay the bills. We've been divorced for almost two years now, and every day I see more and more of my friends also considering divorce because if I don't need a husband to pay the bills, why keep him around if he isn't contributing to my life or family in any other way? Why should we put up with red flag behavior if we are no longer in a position to financially depend on them? And just so you know, after my divorce, I got a new job that more than doubled my income. So now I make more than our combined income ever was. 
thought I would share my breadwinner story with you. So quickly, my story, uh, my soon-to-be ex-husband and I have been together for around 20 years. When we started dating, we were both about the same place in terms of finances. So we didn't have a ton of money individually. Then over the years, I feel like we made pretty different choices about our careers and finances. And so those different choices led to a situation where uh, my soon-to-be ex-husband makes about a third of what I do. I feel like when there's a situation where the woman is the breadwinner and the woman has chosen to leave, uh, based on my own experience, it isn't just about the money and the unevenness in finances. Rather, it's most often the situation where the woman is the breadwinner, but she's also shouldering the burden of the entire household. So she's paying for everything. She's thinking about paying for everything. She's doing all the emotional labor. She's doing all the actual household labor or most of the household labor. Um, she's doing child rearing and child care. She might be doing parent care or other family care. And it's really not just about, well, I'm making more money than my partner and there's an imbalance. It's I'm making more money than my partner. I'm supporting them and I'm not getting anything in return. So I guess the question I would ask is if that's the way we feel that we're not just a paycheck and we're not just a maid, are, are we deserving of blame for feeling that way? And I would say no. There were a number of unladies who said, yes, I'm the breadwinner, I'm married to a guy, and it's totally fine. In fact, it's great. At Susan Cooper voiceover said, I've always been the primary breadwinner of our relationship, married for 15 plus years. My husband works but also supports my career and does a lot of the household stuff and carting our daughter around to where she needs to be. It works for us. At Gabrielle Magara said, I've always been the higher earner in my marriage and it works for us. <laughs> I'm more ambitious career wise and prefer to take on more leadership roles than my husband does, and that's okay. Similarly, at Semper Anima said, I'm the breadwinner in my family and my husband is all caps so supportive. We like to say we each have full-time jobs. His is taking care of the house and the pets, and mine is earning an income. I genuinely enjoy it. There were also, of course, some unladies where the breadwinning outcome wasn't quite as rosy. One anonymous unlady said, I was the breadwinner and it was very hard for my now ex. We were both in the same profession and it seemed really hard for him when I would hit a milestone and he hadn't yet. Another anonymous unlady said, I out-earned my ex-husband during our marriage and it was mostly a problem for his parents, but them grading on him resulted in resentment toward me. Oh well, not my problem anymore. And that mention of it being a problem to this unlady's former in-laws brings me to the most prominent theme in the whole conversation, which were unladies who said, you know what? Yeah, I'm the breadwinner. It works for us. It's other people who have a problem with it. For instance, at Lynn's Ann said, I've recently become the breadwinner. My husband's business was a COVID casualty, and his attention is currently completely on our home. We love this arrangement. Our difficulty is actually with some friends and family, especially my dad, who is still in the mindset that the husband should take care of the wife financially. 
We also have some friends who originally were so excited to help us out with things, and now they're no longer willing, which we think is a direct result of him being unemployed. At Khawk two fourteen said, "I'm the breadwinner in my household. It's not an issue for me and my husband, but a huge issue for my parents. It drives me nuts. If the roles were reversed, they wouldn't care. But because I'm a woman, dot dot dot, and I would add to that ellipsis because you're a woman, dot dot dot." Married to a man, because if we look at the admittedly limited research on the impact of household income on the relationship stability among same-sex couples, the breadwinner question is not nearly as fraught. For instance, one study I found found that for opposite-sex couples, the greater the income equality. The likelier the relationship was to experience strain and potential breakup, whereas for same-sex couples, greater income equality actually correlated to higher relationship stability. Other research suggests that female breadwinners in same-sex couples are likelier to say that being the primary earner has positively impacted their relationships, and they are less likely to report feeling resentful of their partners. See also same-sex couples tending to have more equitable divisions of unpaid labor, like housework and childcare. And I should note too that the female breadwinner stigma associated with straight couples cuts both ways. There are assumptions that the woman is doing too much and the man is doing too little, and overlooks the fact that, as we have heard just from our handful of listeners, like this is not a monolithic loaf. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But why is it still so baked into our assumptions about how couples should? Operate, and to get more into this, I wanted to talk to somebody who makes it part of her job to ask people about their money and how their personal finances work to make all of it a little bit less of a mystery. My name is Maya Lau. I am the host and an executive producer of the podcast Other People's Pockets, which is a podcast about money and the dirty details of people's actual finances. Like I ask people how much money they make and their net worth and all that kind of stuff. And I am a journalist and just a sort of question asker in the world. And did you say why do I do what I do? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> I can't help myself. I am nosy and it's an enjoyable thing for me to do to ask questions and make people feel slightly uncomfortable, but also hopefully not too violated. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I'm really curious if you can say what what made you want to talk about this topic. Is there anything that came up recently or is it just like, you know, one of those things that um, that's on the list? It's kind of been on the list my brainstorm list for a while, but there was uh, what jogged my memory on it was a BuzzFeed News rip piece that came out just a couple of weeks ago on this. Just interesting themes of like a number of the women the reporter spoke to asked for anonymity, specifically kind of to protect their partners' egos. And like they're, mm. they knew it would mm-hmm. make their partner uncomfortable with if it. If people in the wider world knew. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And just also seeing the 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 complexities of it, how childcare factors into it. And also on the flip side too, I mean, and I've seen this in the comments, like the social media comments, since I asked uh, listeners about it, it's also clear the themes around couples where it's not an issue at all. It's a partnership, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like both parties are actively supportive of one another and their household and are are doing their parts to, you know, collectively support it. Like there's not the the resentment piece of it yeah i mean it is it is like so sad that this is still like a controversial topic of you know know. it's like it's it it does feel like god i can't believe we're still here but we are well and i'll say too like i i just also question the broader framing of it the persistent narrative even of you know female breadwinners being like the stats that are always trotted out are like mm. higher rates of divorce and higher mm. likelihood of husband cheating where mm. it's like okay ladies you need to be successful but not too successful mm. and you know mm-hmm. watch out like literally one piece that i saw was headlined like women watch out like what no yeah well cuz it's also like how it's also like how that's framed right cuz it's framed the assumption there is that divorce is bad Right, right, right. Like, what if the divorce was the best thing that ever happened to that couple, Mm -hmm. you know? And yeah, like, I get it. Like, I get that, like, I don't know, that, that, like, there are very real, like, for anyone who feels like they're in this situation where they're in this precarious situation where they're, like, upsetting the apple cart and now they're on the brink of divorce because, like, I feel, I'm not saying, like, oh, whatever, like, it's fine, just get to, you know, um, but... I do think that we have to question, like, what perspective that's coming from. And, yeah, you know, yeah, ultimately, yeah, maybe that couple did need to get divorced. I just, I want more information there because it does seem yes. to be very biased. Yeah, yeah. And and that's an excellent point of, like, why why is divorce necessarily a bad thing and also who's to say who's to say it's the breadwinning like the woman's salary yeah that's her fault i mean that catalyzed it right exactly now on ladies i really want to highlight underscore a circle with a red pen what maya said about divorce this pattern of women's employment opportunities and the rate of divorce, that correlation, that is absolutely nothing new. Starting in the 1880s, when the Industrial Revolution finally started opening up more jobs for women, areas with jobs available to the ladies had higher rates of divorce and separation because, guess what? It afforded more opportunities for women to have more choice in whether they even wanted to get married or if they wanted to stay married. Unladies, are you tired of reading the same old boring news headlines? 
Tune into Crooked Media's podcast, Hysteria, for all the unapologetically real and opinionated conversations about the news stories you need to hear. Political commentator and comedy writer Aaron Ryan and former Obama White House Deputy Chief of Staff Alyssa Mastromonaco are leading the charge each week alongside a hilarious and relatable squad of bicoastal women and amazing guests such as Jessica Valenti, Jody Picoult, and Senator Maisie Hirono. With fresh takes on the political and cultural landscape, say goodbye to the male gaze and hello to smart, real, and refreshing content. And don't worry about the tough news. I mean, there is so much tough news to go around. But hysteria brings the laughs and just the right amount of petty to help you power through the rest of the week. Tune in for new episodes every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. In my own life, weirdly, so I'm married. I've been married for six years and together with my husband for a total of eight years. And so weirdly, we haven't had a breadwinner. Wait, when you say breadwinner, do you mean the only person making money or the person making more money? So this is a good question because okay. the the whole dynamic, I mean, it's, first of all, an antiquated term to be yeah. using. <laughs> but... I think in this context, it's more about if there is a primary owner. Right. Well, and I think it's interesting, too, because there are couples out there where they both make plenty of money, but one makes way more. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why is that a problem? If you guys both, it's not like one person's shouldering the burden, really. It's like you both make more than enough. And so who cares if someone makes more? (laughs) Yeah, for us... um, Weirdly, like we've up until pretty recently, we've always made kind of the same amount as each other, which for many years was like like 50K a year and then like 75K a year. And our incomes have sort of grown together, even though like Mm -hmm. we have different jobs. And then now like he makes around 132K a year and I make, I mean, last year I made 200K. And it, I was just talking to him yesterday about this because I was like, so I'm going to go on the show. We're going to talk about breadwinner (laughs) stuff and like, what's the deal in our marriage? Like, I don't feel like that's been a huge issue for us. Yeah. And he was kind of like, you know, I just feel really lucky, like you being you and your kind of interest has so far resulted in you making more money, which helps us. So I'm happy for it. And he's not as money-minded as me. So mm-hmm. it's sort of like an add-on bonus. And then I was like, but if if you had to earn all the money or if if you had the pressure of like the rent is due and it's all on you, like how would you feel about that? And he was like, that would be fine too, you know, whatever. I think one thing that can be interesting in terms of the breadwinning conversation is also who controls the finances. Mm, Like who literally is doing the budgeting 
and knows how much money is coming in and knows how much is being saved and troubleshoots when a payment you're supposed to get is coming in late or whatever. Um, And in our relationship, that is me in large part because I just love finances and I Mm -hmm. think about it every day and it's fun for me. And he is, my husband is more of like the food and cooking and grocery shopping. And I do think that the person who controls the books has a lot of power, like in any organization, partnership. And it's really not intentional for us. Like he's always like, I really like, let's sit down and let's, let's go over things and talk about it. And we do. I'm curious if any breadwinning dynamics kind of imprinted on you at all growing Mm. up or what was modeled for you? Growing up when I was little, um, my dad was an architect. My mom was a public television producer. I don't know. I'm guessing he made more. And then they got divorced when I was around eight or nine. And that was really hard on my family financially. And my mom ended up having her own company, but she wasn't making really very much money at all. And she at one point was putting everything on credit cards and like, it was really, really tight. Somehow she made it work. Um, I do think that I kind of came out of that, not consciously, but thinking about it later, like I really want to be financially independent. I don't want to be in a situation where I'm scrambling I mean, I, I think that, that those are some of the scariest years of my mom's life, you know? But yeah, in general, I feel like growing up with that experience, it kind of made me like, all right, whatever you do, like figure out how to be independent if you need to, because you don't want to be that person who's so dependent on others and is sort of hot without a life raft. Regardless of gender, do you think that significant income gaps are taboo at all? Like, is it seen as maybe a red flag in relationships? I don't necessarily think it's a red flag. Like I said before, like, I think it's really interesting, especially when both people, like, say, like, there is a big income disparity, but one person makes $200,000 a year and the other person makes $2 million a year. Like, I'm kind of like, what's your problem? Like, you guys are both fine. So if you guys (laughs) feel weird about that, that's... That's fine, but like, come on. But I do know, I mean, actually, it has come up on our show, and I'm, I respect and thank this person so much for being open. But, um, Cora Jefferson, who's this Hollywood writer, um, you know, didn't grow up with a, a ton and then now makes millions of dollars and feels, you know, surprised by that. But like, he admitted that he, if he were dating a woman who made substantially more than him, that he would like feel weird about that. And I was like, huh. I mean, and he acknowledged like that. That makes no sense. He was being vulnerable. I, I appreciate that. And so it does exist. It, it does. And it went into, you know, his feelings about masculinity and being a provider and times when um, in his past that he hasn't been able to afford a dinner for a girlfriend or like stuff like that. I mean, yeah, I do think that like if you have, say, a man who makes 30K and he's with a woman who makes... 300k it's sort of seen as oh weird but um but like a man making 300k dating a woman making 30k is like oh whatever that's normal mhm well and and part of why i asked is 
I, you know, pose the question to mm-hmm. listeners on social media of like, mm. are you are you the breadwinner? Has this ever? Mm. And if so, has it ever affected relationship dynamics? Mm. And something that a few folks mentioned was they got a lot of pressure from parents. There were situations where the women's parents were the ones saying, like, you need to date a man who or be with a man who makes as much or more than you. And then also kind of the flip side of it, one woman whose ex-husband's parents expressed discomfort just to her that she was the breadwinner. Yeah, my response is like, God, like, put out. This is so not your business. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, I think that, you know, I think it comes down to like, what is your relationship with your partner? I, I feel like it, it's been going around, you know, these essays about like, I got more successful than my husband and then he left me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that like money can be a proxy for success. And if you're with someone who you know, things like that. It's it's kind of like, it's not really about the money. It's about even if you were more successful than they were, more famous or whatever, they would probably feel the same way, you know? And it's it's one thing to be envious or to be like, whoa, wow, like I'd love to have what you have too. And I'm happy for you, but like I, now I want that for me. And it's another thing to be like, I literally can't be around you because you're cooler than me. It's like, well, then you don't really truly support me. So yeah, it's, it is, it is like, it is weird how it's kind of one of these things where you could be on equal footing or feel like you are. And then there is this big disparity and then it sort of exposes all the cracks. I think, I think probably Overall, um, as with many things, it's a little bit easier if if there's not a huge disparity. There's just like, I mean, that's true with any thing with your partner. Yeah, it's probably helpful if you make similar amounts, but it's not like a prerequisite. Um, but yeah, money can be a proxy for power. And the person who has more money um, can be... You know, I think that it, it's it's I do worry about especially women who feel like they can't exercise their autonomy or walk away from a relationship or even ask for what they want in a relationship in some way that might be perceived as threatening because they know that they don't make as much like that. It does make me very sad. It's like that shouldn't be. Well, and the interesting flip side of that as well is research showing that women who, I guess, significantly out-earn husbands tend to do more housework mm. and caregiving work, more than the husband. Like, they, yeah. they step up, I think, as a way to kind of compensate for whatever kind of gender role violation might be happening. There. Mm. That's this whole other thing where it's uh, the whole question of the breakdown of the mental load and the housework load, um, especially between men and women, is like this puzzle that I feel like I haven't figured out that a lot of my friends haven't figured out where it's like, we just sometimes not always my my husband gets really like he gets incredibly irritated when I imply that, you know, he doesn't do as much or like, it's more like it's more like he doesn't um, he doesn't always see the details that I do. And and yes. to be fair, like there are other details that I don't see that he mm-hmm. does 
do pick up on, particularly related to food, but also other stuff. But yeah, it, it's so I, I don't know why. Yeah, why it is like women who make significantly more end up doing even more housework and stuff. I'm trying to think if I've ever felt like I do that. Um, probably. But it's also it's also mixed in with there's just like stuff that I feel like I take care of that like wouldn't cross his mind. That's true no matter how much I make. Something I think have been thinking a lot about in the past couple of days, just with my head and the breadwinning of it all, is how <laughs> the millennial feminism that kind of I came of age in was very mm-hmm. focused on your leaning in, your girl bossing, mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. like it was right. very financially focused and focused mm. on career success, but with implicit kind of financial success hitched right. to it, setting aside the, you know, problematic elements of the lean in and girl boss ethos. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think it's interesting that we have now spent decades promoting women's professional and financial success. In the meantime, we've overlooked these kinds of sticky, stubborn gender dynamics. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. We've kind of assumed that like finance. those will just go away and like right. we'll right. just be a girl boss and it'll be great. And it's right. like, but yeah. But what happens yeah. if when girl boss wants to get married? Like, do we do you think that right. the perceptions of woman with money mm-hmm. is different depending on her relationship status? Yes. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Like, OK, so like if she's single, are we like. Ooh, cool. Mm-hmm. And then if we're if she once she gets married, are we like, well, what's what's the deal with him? Right. Um, right. I mean, I will share too. I don't know if I'm sharing too much. I think it's okay. But um, so the only corollary I have really is um, so my husband has a career in audio and radio. Um, and he's done a lot of stories for NPR and worked at a public radio station and like he's he's like a pro at audio and I like just started this podcast I've never done a podcast before and um got this podcast deal and like through a crazy stroke of a million lucky things like this is happening for me and he has gotten some questions from people like so like what is that like for you oh my god like your wife out of nowhere, like, has this podcast. And meanwhile, you're the one with, like, the radio and audio background. And he's like, that's the wrong reaction to have. Like, and he will tell people that. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm so happy for Maya. And I'm, like, he's, like, my number one fan is constantly looking at my rankings. Like, even Mm -hmm. on days when I'm, like, I don't even, I forgot, whatever. And he's like, oh, like, you, you jumped up in the ratings, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's giving um, you the five stars on Apple Podcasts every time. Yeah, you like, and I think, like, look, like, he'll admit, like, yeah, he would also love to have what I have, but what I have doesn't take away from what he has, and he can also enjoy and and be like excited, and he gives me ideas, and I've asked him for advice, and you know, so yeah, I think that if he were a different type of person, um, I don't even know if he'd be honest, but I think it would be really hard for him and it, it would be. But then again, that would expose like, well, then we're not meant to be together if 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 that's your reaction. Like, um, because, you know, things go up and down like there might be there might come a time when maybe my podcast doesn't get renewed 
And later, like, he gets a podcast deal or he does something else that's really cool. And, you know, like, it's A, it's not a competition and B, you're not on this, like, super even footing at all times. There's, like, these seesawing effects so but but that's kind of the closest i've had where where it's more like kind of interesting other people's reactions to it mm-hmm. and they're expecting a certain response mm-hmm. um and it's like no but okay <laughs> do you think that it is possible for society to just fully normalize women breadwinners women as in again in kind of this cis hetero framework women as the primary earners i mean i i i do in in the sense that like i i feel like i already think that women are the ones who do a lot <laughs> like think of how many like single mothers there there are that mm-hmm. like are totally somehow like killing it and like making it work like i i think that like it's it's actually weird that we think female breadwinners are weird there's there's almost a uh, expectation that as a woman like you're going to figure it out like you're you're responsible well when it comes to financial transparency and a lot of the themes that we you know hear for leveling the playing field outside of the home, mm-hmm. could that apply to these nagging issues around breadwinning? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that um, I always say, like, I'm not um, in favor of, like, you know, every last person on this earth needs to reveal their their finances or, you know, it's this absolutist thing. It's more like I do think that if more people in general reveal it, it it's good. And I think that it's good because um, like anything like sex or talking about um, female pleasure or whatever, like the more you just talk about it, the more it's just information. It's just facts. And yes, there's history uh, and context attached to it. It's not devoid of that. But the more that it's talked about, the more it's like, oh, okay, so I have so many feelings about this information. But it is also just information out in the world. And the more I hear about it, the more it's not as taboo. So I do think that with more financial transparency, hopefully, it can be less of like, you know, there's like less emotional attachment I'm not saying it's devoid of conversations around privilege and race and how did you get there and all this stuff. But if couples, for example, can be more like, yeah, okay, so these are my numbers. These are your numbers. Our friends know our numbers. We know our friends' numbers. Um, Oh, gee, didn't know that our friends are in the same boat as us or whatever. It's more like, huh. Okay, cool. I actually maybe feel more comfortable about this. Or um, I think it's the secrecy that makes you feel like there's a certain way to be and there's a certain amount that you can make or like everybody falls in line. And I think as we've found with so many other things we've become more open about, like sex or, um, you know, things like miscarriage, you know, that used mm-hmm. to not be talked about, that that's talked about more. It's like, oh, you know what, with more people talking about it, not that everybody needs to, but when more people talk about it, it's more like, oh, I 
didn't realize how many of my friends have gone through that and it is totally normal and it is totally not my fault if it happens to me and like it's just a breath of fresh air if people can talk about this Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ladies, guess how long the traditional male breadwinner model, husband is breadwinner, wife is homemaker, guess how long that was the marital norm in the United States? Would you think maybe 100 years, 150 years? Try 40. 40 years. That's all. And then he presumably had a midlife crisis and sped off on a motorcycle he impulse leased. Okay. Really, though, I was agog, agog (laughs) to discover the extent to which we have taken that loaf for granted. Let's slice it up, shall we? In 1850 in the U.S., most work was agricultural. Family labor was the name of the game. And even if you didn't grow up in a farming family, family life still revolved around the breadwinner. Breadwinner in its original sense of the old English word, which simply meant the skill or craft or trade that put food on the table. But then the Industrial Revolution happens, okay? So from 1850 up to World War I, the evolution of things like child labor laws, public schools, and the expansion of factories, machines, all of those things ushered in the rise of the male breadwinner and his breadwinner wage, okay? The breadwinner wage is key here. Now, in the book, Breadwinner, An Intimate History of the Victorian Economy by Emma Griffin. Griffin defines the breadwinner wage as, quote, a bargaining concept that was successfully deployed by several campaigners and trade unions during this time. Basically, what happened is men at work were able to organize and raise their own wages by virtue of saying, we are the heads of household, therefore you need to pay us enough so we can provide for our wives and children. It wasn't until 1920 that the male breadwinner became the marital norm. And get this, the male breadwinner peaked in the U.S. in 1940, people, representing 57% of married couples. So even at his peak... 
the male breadwinner was not so much the everyman that we've considered him to be. The lone male breadwinner was really more of a middle-class aspiration for men. It was an idealized masculinity to be so-called reliable breadwinners. Side note, sounds like a lot of fucking pressure. Side note to the side note, also not exactly a fail-safe plan because he probably didn't have many sick days either. Even as dual-income households started to become more commonplace in the late 1950s and 60s, the male breadwinner wasn't about to go down without a fight. On top of the male breadwinning wage and a gender wage gap, you also have marriage bars where it was perfectly legal for you to be expected to leave the job if you were a woman who decided to get married. Husbands were required to sign off if a woman even wanted to open her own bank account, get a credit card. Breadwinner wage is even tax incentivized. Our modern tax code in the U.S. was written to offer what's known as a marriage bonus or a tax reduction for married couples with only one earner, a sole breadwinner, which was basically conceived of in the late 60s as kind of a Susie homemaker subsidy. Couples with a secondary income, which was usually a lower amount made by the woman, that incurred a marriage penalty. The fuckery abounds. It abounds. And even today, it seems like our perceptions of breadwinning are very rigid. So in April of this year, the Pew Research Center published a report finding that just 3% of respondents think that men want a wife who earns more. Just 7% thought that women want to earn more than their spouse. Meanwhile, 48% said husbands prefer to earn more. Duh. And 22% said women want a husband who earns more. TLDR, we assume that men want to be the breadwinners the most. Women, eh, they could take or leave a male breadwinner. But ultimately, what we don't think anybody wants is a wife out-earning her husband. And all of this brings me back to the question I posed to unladies. And the biggest theme I heard back from y'all was that, yeah, you know what? It actually works for us sometimes. Yeah, it can be a lot of pressure to be the primary income source for my family, but we like it. You know who doesn't like it, though? Everybody else. Everybody else who assumes it's a problem. And can it be a problem? Absolutely. See also the unladies who said my ex-husband could not handle the fact that I made more than him. It derailed. It seemed to derail everything. But I would suggest also that it doesn't really have all of that much to do with women breadwinning. It just goes to show how deeply internalized and even baked into our tax codes and social infrastructure the male breadwinner wage still is. And I think it's time for us to toss out that moldy loaf.
Okay, and ladies, now I want to hear from you again. What do you think about this whole breadwinning conundrum? Does any of it resonate? Am I just way out on a limb? Any men listening would love to hear what y'all think. Is this something that you talk about amongst yourselves? Because I think you need to be. I, I really, really do. Hello at unladylike.co is where you can email me, send me your voice memos. You can also DM me on Instagram at unladylikemedia. Thank you so, so, so much to all of the unladies who contributed their experiences and voices to this episode. And huge thanks to Maya Lau, host of Other People's Pockets. Go listen to Other People's Pockets. You can find it anywhere you find podcasts. You can follow Maya Lau on Twitter at Maya Lau, M-A-Y-A-L-A-U, or visit her website, mayalau.com. Oh, and that BuzzFeed News article that I mentioned to Maya was reported by Vanessa Wong. Shout out, Vanessa. And for one last breadwinning fact, did y'all know that in the 1970s, a small group of men got fed up with the masculine norm of breadwinning and had themselves a pro-feminist, if ill-fated, men's liberation movement? It's true and truly relevant to today. Yeah, there's a twist. And if you want to hear that story, you need to join the Patreon. Go get your extra unladylike and listen to episode 145, Men's Liberation. Yeah, 145 as in the 145th bonus episode just waiting for your ears over at patreon.com slash unladylikemedia. Your Patreon support is truly make or break for unladylike. So please, if you care about this podcast, an independent feminist podcast, consider becoming a patron for $5 a month or more. Oh yeah, and you can follow Unladylike on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Unladylike Media. Unladylike is an Unladylike Media production, executive produced, created, hosted, written, and edited by me, Kristen Conger. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Editing and mastering is by Multitude Productions. Until next week, what is the most unladylike thing about you? I think the most unladylike thing about me is I've never idealized being in a relationship. Mm. I've never um, I've never been somebody who like has a Pinterest board about like my wedding one day off in the future that like but I don't even have a boyfriend yet or something like I've never um I've always idealized like singlehood and independence and thought that that was like the coolest thing that a woman could do um and yeah I just I've never felt like I need a partner to be whole um but I still like choose to have one and we have a kid and like but I think I think because of my parents divorce I've always had a very realistic view of relationships and like what can happen and like it's great it can be great it can be not great like you know so hopefully mm-hmm. you find a great partner and if you don't then you need to leave you know like just it's not like this oh you find a partner and then everything's fine happily ever after like I've never had I've never had that thought yeah (laughs) 
it's really more complicated after ever after I feel like but. yeah it's like that's the start of another journey that you're gonna <laughs> yes. have so yes. you know you can choose to have it or not but like it's not the end of the story it's the beginning of another story 